the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart, all you need to do is pick up the phone and call 210-340-9585, that's 340-9585, if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, we had a little rain here today, so it might be a little slick out there. The safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, Tonight, I am going to be finishing. I'm a week late, but I'm going to be finishing uh, Genesis, the book of Genesis. We've been in Genesis for about 17 months, and uh, tonight we're going to finish it, Genesis chapter 50. That's at 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvaryessay.com, or you can just join us. We've always got room on Wednesday nights. And it's always good to be in the house of God. So uh, that's tonight. And then, of course, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me uh, on the date day edition of the program. Uh, Ladies, it's a day we set aside especially for you. We get as many calls from men as we do women on that day. But whatever's on your heart, if you need any encouragement, uh, Paula is here to take your uh, call and answer your questions. Uh, I know one of the things she's going to talk about is uh, the Sweet Summer Devotion uh, from this past Monday uh, with Sabina, our 18-year-old young woman. I was so proud of her. I was blessed abundantly. And uh, I know Paula will be talking about that as well. Great, great comments, especially during the Q&A that that apply to parents. So uh, Paula will talk about that and whatever else the Lord has put on her heart. Okay, let's get to your questions while I await your phone calls. The first one is from Joyce, and she wants to know what level of involvement should Christians have in politics? Um, Joyce, whatever level of involvement you feel comfortable, as long as you keep Jesus first. I think one of the things that we have to remember is that our kingdom is not of this world. Remember when Jesus was asked by Pilate, you a king? And he said, yes, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Well, too many of us have made this world our kingdom. And so we're short-sighted and we lose sight of what God wants for us. So uh, certainly, Joyce, Christians ought to vote. We've been given that privilege. Um, um, I think it's perfectly okay for Christians to be involved in political campaigns. Uh, the thing that you have to do is keep your priorities straight. If you remember that uh, this world isn't run by politicians. It seems like it at times, and it gets very frustrating. 
Um, I get frustrated myself, Joyce, when I see the numbers of churches and the numbers of Christians, especially in this last political campaign uh, back in November and in the months leading up to November. Uh, I get frustrated when I see churches um, um, recommending um, who people should vote for or churches taking time that ought to be spent teaching the Word of God, time that could be spent in prayer, time that Ephesians 4 says should be spent for equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and they turn it into a political rally. And make no mistake, we who are believers, churches, have lost a lot of credibility uh, because of the things that we get caught up in. And, um, you know, our, our weapons are not worldly weapons, Paul says, but they're spiritual weapons. And too often, because of political involvement, we're fighting with worldly weapons in the world uh, that should see Christ in us and through us instead uh, sees just more of the junk that's in the world. So Joyce, run for office if that's what you feel God is asking you to do. But remember that we represent another king. And I would love to see, personally now, this is just my opinion, I would love to see a bunch of Christians run for office, school boards and mayors and city council uh, men and women, uh, bigger offices statewide and nationally. Uh, but 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 we we would need committed Christians, people that wouldn't compromise to get elected, people that wouldn't stop declaring Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, that kind of a candidate would never be elected. Well, that's okay. Jesus would vote for you. So it's okay to be involved. It stops being okay when we lose sight of Jesus, who is the most important priority that we have in our lives. So I hope that helps, Joyce. Mario says, Is it okay to be baptized by members of your family, or does it have to be a pastor? Um, Mario, um, Paula baptized me. Uh, So I'm answering your question with my own personal experience. Uh, Paula prayed for me for 13 years. And in my study through the Bible, as I was just a brand new believer, um, we we talked about baptism. We'd read about it and uh, I remember I asked her, I said, Paula, uh, I want to be baptized. And, of course, she was thrilled. Um, but I asked her, I said, I don't think anybody should baptize me but you. She prayed for me for 13 years. And believe me, my baptism took. So uh, either Paula's a really good baptizer or, of course, it's okay to be baptized. Uh, we did it publicly. Uh, we did it at a pool, at a gym, and there were people who were watching. Um, and the idea is... Um, that's what baptism is. It's a public declaration of your commitment to serve Jesus Christ with the, with the remainder of your life. Uh, baptism is um, a funeral service, in effect. It's, it's the death of the old person. That's when we put people down under the water. Uh, we bring them up. It's symbolic of the resurrected person uh, with new life in Christ, having been born again. And the life that, that has committed to serving Jesus from here on on out. Um, certainly it's great to be baptized by a pastor, but that's a matter of choice for you, Mario. As long as Jesus is there, and he will be, it really doesn't matter who baptizes you. We're having a baptism on August the 8th. Uh, that's a Sunday afternoon after our third service. Um, um, if anybody wants to be baptized, um, you can call the church office at 658-8337 or you can go to our website, calvarysa.com. And as we get a little bit closer to August 8th, the information, details, and directions will be there. It's always a really great time. We get a lot of people, a lot of food. But uh, the first priority is let's go out and let people know we love Jesus. So Mario, be baptized by anybody that you feel is appropriate. Here is a question from Irene. I want to know what's meant by a camel going through the eye of a needle. Irene, Jesus, when he said that, he said it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Uh, He said it's harder for a rich man to enter into kingdom than for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, he was speaking uh, with hyperbole. 
Uh, he was making a statement that says uh, this, this ridiculous picture of trying to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle is hard. Uh, and, and the point is, it's even harder than that for a rich man to go to the kingdom of heaven because the rich man doesn't need faith in God. The rich man is depending on his wealth or her wealth. And uh, so Jesus was making that point. Now, I will say this, Irene. There are people that tell stories. New pastors use these kind of things all the time without checking them out. There's a tradition that says there was a gate um, on the, uh, the, 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 the Gentiles would come in um, in the old temple called the Needle Gate. And it was a relatively small gate. And a camel would have to get down on its knees with all of its backpacks and things to get through that gate because the gate was small. And and there are people, Irene, who say that Jesus was making a reference to that. Um, I, I don't think that's true. I just, I don't know why we make stuff up or we take traditions and, and hold on to them. Jesus' point is saying, Rich people don't need to depend on him. At least that's the perspective of the wealthy person. I've got money. I've got what I need. Uh, I can take care of me. And then um, they don't exercise the faith to say, God, I need you. So that's what he's trying to, the point that he's trying to make. Good question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous um, question, I'm saved and have been baptized, but I have no plans to become a member of a local church. What are your thoughts? Um, anonymous, I, I don't know why you wouldn't want to become a member of a local church. Um, if you're really saved, it would seem that you want to be around God's people. Uh, the Bible tells us not to neglect or to forsake the assembling together of the saints. It's a very clear command. And um, church and our activity in church is um, nearly an essential part of our walk with the Lord. And if we're going to produce fruit, we need to be around other believers. It's that simple. Uh, why you don't want to become a member of local church? Now, if you're talking about um, uh, membership, the way it's practiced in churches, you, know, you sign a covenant, you become a member of church, uh, that that's unnecessary. But to be an active participant in a local body is not something that we can forsake. And whoever you are, Anonymous, I, 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 there's not a single reason or excuse that would justify you not being in church. I've had people say, well, I've been hurt by four by, or before in church. Well, if that's the case, there's too much you. Remember, we're to go to church to die, to serve others, not to be served by others. People say, well, I've been, I got used to watching online during the pandemic and I'm getting just as much out of it. Well, you're not using the gifts of the Spirit that God has given you. You're not being a blessing to others, which really identifies you as being pretty selfish. This is what's hard for me to understand. Somebody says, I'm saved. Forget the being baptized part. I'm saved. How could a saved person not delight to be around the people of God. Church on Sundays especially, because that's when we get to see everybody, uh, is a highlight of our week. I can't imagine Paula not coming to church, and she comes to three services to hear the same message. But this is where God's people are, and this is where, as I mentioned, we get to use our spiritual gifts. That's how important all of this is. So I would just ask you to examine your heart, Anonymous. Let's take a phone call. We've got on line one, we got Victor from San Antonio. Victor, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir, Pastor Ron. I have a question for you. The majority of the uh, evangelical preachers uh, believe uh, that the uh, the two witnesses that are going to be uh, during the during the tribulation that are going to appear is are going to be uh, the prophet Elijah and uh, and Moses. Um, I'm a little. Uh, do you agree with that? I think I've heard you say you agree with it. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I know of some that believe that the that the other the other person instead of Moses would be uh, Enoch because mm -hmm. uh, he didn't die. He was just raptured out. He was uh, uh, taken. 
along with Elijah and that uh, Moses had already died. And I know that after the rapture, I mean, after, uh, yeah, during the rapture, the, the, the dead are going to be raised first their bodies. So he's, he's going to already have an eternal body. And just, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I know, you know, that he's going to be killed. Uh, so, that'll be, so that means that he'll be killed a second time or he'll die a second time. Yeah. Good question, Victor. You know, I, I, uh, it thrills me to think about, and, and, and you're quite right. I do believe that Moses and Elijah are the two. Uh, they are the two that appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration together. Uh, so we know that Moses was uh, returned to Jerusalem. By the way, it's the first time he got to see the Promised Land uh, because he, he, he didn't get to go in the Promised Land uh, because of his failure. Uh, but he got to see it with Jesus. He got to see Jesus in all of his glory. Uh, there's no problem for God uh, bringing somebody to life. There's no problem for an angel to have the appearance of a man. Now, I'm not suggesting that Moses or Elijah are angels. I'm just saying that uh, what they represent is really important. Uh, Moses represents the law. And Elijah the prince of the prophets represents the prophets. And in Jewish thought, when you say uh, Moses and Elijah, you're talking about the law and the prophets. Jesus said that the law and the prophets testify of him. And that's why when they are at the Western Wall at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, uh, that's why um, they're going to be witnessing about Jesus. The law and the prophets in a Jewish context uh, during the Great Tribulation are going to be witnessing about Jesus, and of course, there are going to be lots of Jews who are converted during that time, not only from their testimony, but from the power. Now, let me talk about Enoch for a minute. The only reason anybody says, well, I believe it's Enoch instead of Moses because there's only two people that didn't die, and of course, um, that's that's uh, an argument from silence, and, and really, uh, it doesn't matter how somebody, if, if somebody's died, again, God can bring them back to life. Uh, in an instant. Uh, and uh, you're right, uh, Moses will die again. Uh, Elijah will die. It's appointed that a man wants to die and then face the judgment, except for those of us who are in the rapture. And then in that particular case, um, uh, Elijah's going to die. Moses is going to die. Their bodies, after being um, brutalized for three days after they're dead. They're going to rise from the dead in full view of everybody. Can you imagine, Victor, what that's going to be like? And uh, the world is going to see them ascend into heaven as much much in the way that, that uh, more than 500 people at one time saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Uh, but I believe uh, very, very strong. And we know that Elijah's one. That's what the, the prophet says. Uh, Elijah has to come before the, the dreadful day of the Lord. Uh, that we read about in Revelation 19. We know that for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, they're going to be God's faithful witnesses. The other additional evidence, Victor, is that the the uh, uh, fire coming from them, the judgments uh, that they're going to pronounce in the book of Revelation uh, are similar to the things that happened when those two were alive, uh, when the power of God was being manifest through them. So uh, I believe, uh, with with no doubt in my my mind, uh, that Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses from Revelation. Um, but um, uh, if somebody believes that Enoch is uh, there instead of Moses, um, that doesn't mean they're not faithful or anything. It just, it just, it's just sort of a leap in logic based on, well, he's the only other one that, that didn't die. So I hope that makes sense to you, Victor. Thanks very much for the question. And I especially like it when people are thinking about end-time stuff. Time is near. Uh, somebody was in my office today, and I was watching, um, I saw a news story, and I clicked on it. And it was about San Francisco, and uh, they, were, they were interviewing a bunch of people and their retail store owners and just tourists and other things, and just talking about the complete lawlessness. They had video of people shoplifting, breaking into cars. They see there's no police enforcement in San Francisco. And they were saying, um, uh, some, nobody's doing anything about this. They've got to do something about this. And my first thought was, well, you elected the, the, the officials that did that. So um, um, 
They want justice. And the first thing that came to mind was Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning in the first verse. These are the signs of the very, very end. And we are in the last hours of the last days. And Jesus is coming back in the, in the relative near future. And we need to be on guard. We need to be ready. And uh, next thing that's going to happen, Victor, is we who are born again are going to be taken into heaven to be with Jesus for seven years while literally all hell breaks loose on earth, uh, culminating, of course, in Jesus' return in Revelation chapter 19. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Reuben, our friend from Seguin on line two. Reuben, thanks for holding. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today, sir? Reuben, I'm doing really well. Thank you, and God bless you, too. God bless you. If I may, may I say a short testimony, and then I have a question, if I may? Okay. Okay. Um, and, and this testimony is going to go out to people who are probably in the same situation that I'm currently in. Um, my entire family has turned their backs to me. Uh, my dad's in the nursing home. I'm the only one that's taking care of him. When I myself am disabled and I'm having trouble living myself, you know, and my mother was in a nursing home for three years, but about two months ago, I don't know what happened to her where she got sent to the hospital and then she was released on hospice, which hospice is the last transition to transition into the, you know, into the next part of, um, into death, you know, uh, to put it bluntly. Well, my brothers and my sisters, mainly my sister, refuses to let me see my mom, refuses to let me talk to her, refuses to let me go to her house, refuses to have me. I have no communication with her whatsoever because of something that happened 40 years ago, <laughs> and it just popped up now. But I realize in all of this, this is a testimony, though. I realize in all of this that it's Satan that has, they have allowed Satan to come up and plant that root of bitterness and unforgiveness. And I just want to thank God. And I want to tell the people out there, hold your peace and let the Lord fight your battle. And you will find yourself in perfect peace because, Pastor Ron, I don't understand why I'm so peaceful. (laughs) And I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I don't wish any bad things to them. I pray for them every day. I say, Lord, you bless them and you keep them strong and and, and you give them what they need while they're taking care of my mom. Yes, it hurts that I can't see her. Yes, it hurts that I can't even talk to her. But there's no bitterness in me. And I'm just like, Lord, (laughs) Lord, this is you. This is all you. But once you surrender everything, I mean, everything, all of your emotions, all of your feelings, all of your thoughts, won't you just surrender them and let them go to God? Although it hurts your your flesh and your body and your heart, believe me, God will comfort you, and He will keep you in perfect peace, just like the Word says. He will keep you, know, you in perfect peace. That, that's a testimony Ru- I want to say. Yeah, Reuben, you you said that you don't understand the peace that you have. Well, that's because, as Paul puts it, that's the peace that passes understanding, and we don't have to understand it. All we have to do is receive it. So good for you. Good for you. Yes, yes. Yes, thank you. And and the question I have is, can you clarify this, this part of Scripture for me? Um, oh, my God, where's it at? I forgot where's that. Where where it says, I saw... I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, does he say Satan or Lucifer mm-hmm. fall from the heavens like thunder and lightning and everything. And my question is, was his name Lucifer in heaven? Or where did that name come from? And um, when did he became Satan on when he fell, after he fell, correct? Could you uh, clarify that for me? Yeah, it's it's Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Reuben. And, and Lucifer was the, the angel's given name. Uh, it means light bearer. Uh, some, some say even morning star, and he's referred to as that, uh, I think, in the book of Revelation. 
but uh, when when Jesus said he saw him fall, he he was there, of course, uh, for the um, for the rebellion in heaven when Satan, uh, we learn later in the book of Re- Revelation, swept a third of the angels uh, into that rebellion with him. So uh, Jesus saw him fall like lightning. Um, uh, he says, and uh, he just is witnessing to uh, the 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 choice that the angels made, led by Satan, the the, the I wills of Satan. I will cast my throne above the Most High. He wanted to be worshipped. He didn't want to be the lead worshiper. If you look at Ezekiel twenty eight, and I know you're a worshiper, uh, a musician, Reuben. Um, uh, in the King James, it makes it sound like uh, music. Whenever he his his wings uh, went up, it, it, music emanated from it. That's why there are people that say that he is the worship leader, was the worship leader in heaven, and Jesus saw him fall. And of course, he is going to fall again. So that's what he's talking about there. And he said, "I saw Satan fall." Uh, we need to remember that Satan, he's powerful. Uh, but he's fallen, and uh, as long as we're with the Lord, he really can't do anything to hurt us. Thank you for the testimony, Amen. Reuben. I appreciate Thank it you. very, very much. God bless you. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back after the fastest two minutes in history i don't know that two minute break it's like two seconds to me 340-9585 if you have any questions and we'd love your calls uh here's a question sent in by wade he says, my question is about the offices of the church in Ephesians 4. Is pastor, teacher, one office or two? In the Greek, that's clear weight. It's one office. That's why I said I had a question about the fivefold ministry uh, yesterday that somebody asked. And if you take that passage literally and rightly divide the word there, uh, it's a, it would have been a fourfold ministry because pastor and teacher is one gift. There's no possibility that God would call a pastor who wasn't also a gifted teacher. Now, I said there's lots of possibilities where somebody could be a teacher and not a pastor. We have women at our church who are gifted Bible teachers, but they're not pastors. Uh, we have some other people that are just really smart people, and they love God's Word, and they, they teach it, but they don't have the gift to being a pastor. So uh, it's one office and not two so when you hear somebody talk about the fivefold ministry uh, of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that's four gifts given by God to the church. And by the way, one of the reasons I love that passage so much is because as a pastor teacher, uh, God calls me a gift to the church, and I just like thinking of myself as a gift to other people. Jennifer asks a question Jennifer, this is maybe the question I've had on this program over our nine plus years more than any other. Is it possible to lose our salvation? Jennifer, if you're really saved, the answer is no. Because if you're really saved, Jesus is the one who's guaranteed your inheritance in heaven. Now, if if we're born again and we can lose our salvation, Jesus wouldn't be a very good guarantor, would it? And so... Uh, it's not possible to lose your salvation. Now, here's why we struggle, Jennifer, with this question and why I get asked so often about it. We see people who make professions of faith. They seem to get excited real quickly, do some neat things. They get goosebumps, and, and, and then they sort of fade away, and a few years go by, and they're not walking with Jesus anymore. They didn't lose their salvation. They didn't have it. Jesus explains in the parable of the sower uh, what happens. And there's a lot of people who receive the word immediately with joy. And then because of the cares or worries of this world, then then the, 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 the seed gets choked out by the weeds or the thorns, and, and, um, and there's no crop that's produced. 
Uh, that's a, a man or a woman who really never was saved. They had an emotional experience, but um, they just didn't continue. They tried it. Have you ever had somebody, Jennifer, say to you, well, well, I tried Jesus and he didn't work for me. Well, that's because they never really surrendered their heart to him. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us as clearly as the Bible can state it, that the Holy Spirit, upon conversion, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance in heaven. We're told by the Apostle Paul that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's not up to me to finish my faith. It's up to him. All I have to do is be his. Um, Jesus is the one who began a good work in with me, Philippians says, and will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. In the Gospel of John, uh, I think it's chapter 10, Jesus says, um, I have you in my hands and no one can snatch you out of my hands. Uh, then he sort of doubles down on the promise that my Father, who's greater than I, has you in his hands and no one can snatch you out of his hands. That's about as clear as it can be. He also cried out at the end of the Gospel of John, Father, I've not lost one that you've given me. So Jesus doesn't lose anybody. So it's not possible to lose our salvation if you've ever truly been born again. But there's a lot of people in church, Jennifer, who aren't really born again. There's a lot of people who on the day when they stand before the Lord, they're going to say, uh, the example Jesus gave to the Jews was, many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, uh, and, and I'm going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. They know about him, and they go through the motions, but they've never really surrendered. Truly being born again requires three things. One, you've got to admit you're a sinner. You need to be saved. Second, it requires repentance. I, I know I'm sinning, but I'm going to change my life, Lord, because of what you've done for me. And third, uh, it requires a deposit of the Holy Spirit, which happens upon conversion. Now, it is also true, Jennifer, that there is a lot of people who follow Jesus. They're really born again, and then they fall away. I, I just had a, a, a wonderful answer to, to a long time of prayer uh, in this past week. Uh, somebody that, that we've watched grow up, somebody we love with all of our heart. And, um, and she walked away from the Lord, and, and for a very long time. And, you know, you don't know, was she ever really saved? Or uh, All we know is that in answer to prayer, she came back to Jesus. So either she was saved and God brought her back, or she wasn't saved and God answered our prayers. Whatever matters, she is now in the family of God. So uh, it's not possible to lose our salvation. It's not up to you to keep it. It's up to Jesus to sustain you through it. But remember that not everybody who says they are saved really is. And that's hard to understand. We see people that appear to be really excited and, and appear to produce some fruit, uh, but, but perseverance matters a great deal. we got to be there at the end, and people fall away. Um, one other comment, Jennifer, related to the end times. Uh, I believe with all of my heart that we're seeing that we are at the very beginning stages of the great falling away. Uh, we, we send the kids to college and they were raised in church uh, a week in college and suddenly they believe professors instead of the Word of God. Were they really saved? Of course not. They were raised in church. They know the right thing. But um, that's where their faith is tested and our faith is always going to be tested. So Jennifer, God wants you to be secure in your salvation. Imagine how horrible it would be for God Imagine Jesus' face when you thought, well, I lost my salvation. I don't think he, he loves me. And, and he, he's thinking, what can I do? What more could I have done to prove how much I love them? He wants you to be secure. And he wants you to live as though you're secure for his glory. Thank you. Matt says, Pastor Ron, in John chapter 14, Jesus says we will do greater miracles than he did. Faith teachers use this, and I can't believe that we can do greater miracles if we have enough faith. Uh, Jesus didn't actually say we do greater miracles. He said we do greater things 
Now, here's the emphasis, Matt, in John chapter 14. Um, Jesus isn't talking about the quality of miracles that he did. I mean, who could do what he did? Walking on water, uh, feeding multitudes with very little um, um, to to begin with, um, uh, calming the sea and the wind, um, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, cleansing lepers, and, 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 and giving the ability to walk to the lame. Who could do better things than those? But in terms of quantity, I want you to think for a moment. When Jesus left this world, he had 120 or so followers. After one day of the church, one day, Peter and the others had 3,000 converts who were men, not counting women and children. Another 5,000 men just a couple of days later were added to that number. And over and over and over, we we see this enormous work. That's the quantity, not the quality, but the quantity uh, of of the work. And, And certainly, Jesus' disciples did bigger things, greater things. So I think that's what's really important. Now, Matt, I don't know what your reference to faith teachers is. I, I know that they, they teach that if you just have enough faith, you can believe it and God will do these things. But but my my hope is that you'll stop listening to faith teachers altogether. Uh, they are an abomination on the, on the church, to the church, an embarrassment. And um, they absolutely have no theology at all. That's correct. The sad thing is there's real believers that get trapped in those faith churches and because they're not students of God's word, they're easily deceived and they're the ones getting ripped off. So we can do better than that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We would love your calls. Here is a question from Judith. If Jesus is God, why is he and the Holy Spirit inferior to the Father. Judith, I don't really understand uh, your question. Uh, there's there's no indication anywhere in the Word that they're inferior to the Father. Over and over, they are described as one. One God, three persons, all completely God, all with all of the attributes of God, the same names as God. So what we've got is God the Father and Jesus called his father, father, over and over. Um, and and Jesus um, submitted to his direction while he was on earth. Philippians chapter 2 talks about uh, considering equality with God not something to be grasped, meaning he was equal with God, but he let go of that. And he let go of that in order to... Um, um, uh, be a sacrifice to, to live a life led by the Spirit just like you and I live a life by the Spirit. So in no way is Jesus or the Holy Spirit inferior to the Father at all. They are one. They are the same. They are distinct and separate in terms of, of personality and what I like to call ministry. I think that, that paints a picture that we can understand. But they are completely God. They are in complete unity. Um, um, they're never acting independent of one another, not ever. So there's nothing inferior. Um, Jesus submitted to his Father. In fact, Jesus said that he only said what he heard his Father say, and he only did what he saw his Father do. Uh, It's an amazing thing in this. It's called the kenosis of God and the emptying of himself in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus never did a miracle to benefit himself. Uh, Jesus didn't have an independent thought in the three plus years of his ministry. He he didn't get up one day and say, you know, I'm going to take a day off. I'm tired. He always submitted to and obeyed his Father in heaven. And he did that as an example for you and me to show us how to walk this earth in obedience to the Lord. So I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question from Jeffrey. Can you tell me what a pastor or worship leader means 
when they say out loud that the anointing is in this place or that they can feel the Holy Spirit in that place. Um, Yeah, Jeffrey, I can. This is emotional nonsense. Um, uh, And we've all heard it. Uh, Thank God I've never heard it here at Calvary Chapel and never will. Uh, But we get worship leaders who will talk a lot uh, instead of just leading worship. And they'll say, oh, the Holy Spirit is in this place. I can feel the anointing. And really what they're doing is pumping up their own worship style. So um, we don't have to wonder if the Holy Spirit is in the place. When Christians are gathered, he's here. Uh, and, and what they're doing is they're, they're simply sort of uh, promoting um, their own ministry, um, uh, trying to get people worked up into an emotional pitch, uh, and it's and it's silliness. Now, uh, I have said at times uh, in a message or giving an invitation, um, I hope, I am sure, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, that there are, are times when I can feel the Holy Spirit is convicting uh, people of something, and those people are resisting the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's just God pleading with people to get saved or pleading with people to repent of their sins. Uh, but, but that's certainly not anything that draws attention to me at all. It's just the Spirit of God using the Word of God through me uh, to, to uh, let people know that He's there with His arms wide open. But when you find during worship especially, or a pastor who says he is the anointed one, that is nothing more than self-promotion, and it is hypocrisy at its worst. So I don't know why anybody would have to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place when the Bible tells us he's always there. Hope that makes sense, Jeffrey. Thank you very much. Anonymous. Do you believe the coronavirus is God's judgment on the U.S., or did it come from the devil? Um, Anonymous, there seems to be a whole lot of evidence that it came from uh, a Chinese lab in Wuhan, China. So uh, it is neither God's judgment, uh, nor did it come from the devil. Uh, We live in a fallen world, and just like flu viruses or other diseases, these things just happen in a fallen world. So no, the coronavirus isn't God's judgment on the U.S. or anywhere else. And by the way, the world does not revolve around the United States of America. I think there are too many times when we, we believe that it does. You know, we, we, we are always that short-sighted, and, and it must be about us. It's not. There's a lot more people outside this country than, than, than inside this country. So what we understand is the coronavirus is simply a virus that, whether it was manufactured um, or, or just there was uh, poor security, whatever it was, now it's a fact of life. And this is a good opportunity for me to ask all of you to pray for the people that you know that are getting this virus. There's something that's going on that I I don't think gets any news uh, coverage at all. But we have now a lot of people coming out of more than a year, sometimes a year and a half of quarantine. Their immune systems have been shot. Uh, They haven't been around anybody. And even though they've been vaccinated, now they're coming out. And they're getting exposed to the coronavirus and people are catching it. And this is going to continue to happen. This nonsense that this is an an unvaccinated pandemic now just makes no sense at all. Uh, This is simply the way viruses work. People's immune systems go down. They haven't been exposed. We haven't got it. It's like measles. You know, when I was a kid, if uh, somebody in the neighborhood got measles or something, then all the parents got their kids together with the, whoever was infected so we'd all get the measles. Why? Because we need to build up an immunity to it. And and so um, I hope that answers your question. No, it's not God's judgment, and it is irresponsible or misrepresenting God to, to believe that it is. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to line one and talk with Jim from San Antonio. Jim, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Pastor, thanks for taking our call. Appreciate it. You really uh-huh. have a lot of wisdom, so thanks for sharing. Oh, question thanks. about the book of James. Uh, some brothers and I were studying chapter four in the book of James yesterday, last night. And 
you've talked about this before, just different versions. Sometimes they have little different flavors and nuances. In the New American Standard, it says, consider all joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter various trials. So we know that applies to brothers and sisters. The book was written under spirit of, to, to everybody who's a believer. Um, and then we hopped over to chapter 4, in verse 4, and it says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? And another brother had the NIV, and the NIV says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? I, I just wonder about that. Those pronouns are those that were referenced. This difference, yeah. you know, it just—it seems like it's less of a rebuke if you say you adulterous generation, rather than he—he just wanting us to be convicted and say, "Man, I'm a man, and he's calling me an adulteress." You know, it's just, <laughs> just a different nuance there, and I don't know if you have any response to that. Yeah, I, I do, uh, Jim. Thank you for for the question. You know, one of the uh, the difficulties that we have. I'm trying to get to uh, the um, concordance right now. Um, in the King James, it says it's an adulteress. Um, it, it's it's um, the, the an intimate. I can't see it. My my, my eyes are hurting now. Um, it's 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 uh, the, the influential alliance of God with the people of Israel linked to a heritage, and often when we refer to a nation of people um, or a ship or something else, we we'll refer to them in the feminine. Um, this is um, um, not feminine in the sense that adulterous is the only way it could be. It could be also adulterers, and the NIV translation is far superior to this. Uh, so uh, he's not speaking to women. He's not changing the subject. Um, the, the context of verses 1 um, uh, through through the first part of that chapter uh, continue uh, to um, to go on through, through that part of the chapter. So um, he, he's basically rebuking them um, for giving into their flesh, um, he says, you kill and covet, but cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God or you ask with the wrong motives. Uh, and that's when he gets to you adulterous people. And that's the appropriate reference there. Um, later in verse 4, he refers to them as as uh, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's the adulterous people. And harlotry is often... Uh, spoken of in connection with um, um, faithlessness, um, doctrinal um, faithlessness. So, Jim, I hope that helps. It's it's adulterous people is much better for that. Okay, we've got four more minutes. Boy, time's gone fast. Roger says, do you believe in homeless I'm sorry, do you believe homeless and mentally ill people are cursed by God? Of course not, Roger. Um, um, God doesn't curse people. We curse ourselves by not believing in Jesus Christ and by dying without the answer for our sins. But no, somebody who's homeless is not cursed by God. Somebody who's mentally ill is not cursed by God. Um, um, These are people with mental problems. Uh, people that need Jesus Christ, but people that have mental problems. Roger, we've done an awful lot of work with the homeless at our church over the years. And the truth of the matter is, is that they are as filled with sin as I am or I was before Jesus, as you are before Jesus. Uh, this is just what happens uh, with with people who are, are trying to do... Um, what they want to do instead of doing what God wants to do. Um, you know, when we've done ministry to homeless, you run into different different categories of people. A lot of times people will be very receptive. You know, they're, they're beat up, beat down by the world so much that they're very receptive to good news. Uh, other times there are people who are rebellious. They don't care about rules. They don't want to follow rules. And they'd rather be out there on their own suffering than to have a roof over their head and food in their stomach. Uh, and then, of course, a large part of the people that are out there are mentally ill 
uh, brains get sick. We have uh, psychological trauma that happens. You know, we've we. I just saw um, this isn't a political statement, but I just saw an article in a magazine about uh, uh, veterans of Afghanistan, um, many of whom who have lost limbs, others who have lost family and friends. And now that we've pulled out of Afghanistan, they, they want the nation to admit that we lost the war, that we've abandoned the people there, and that all of the blood that was shed, the limbs that were lost, all of that was wasted. And we never should have been there because we had no intention of winning the war. Um, you can imagine how that's going to play on the minds of the people who were there and who lost so much. Um People are sick out there, a lot of them. A lot of them are there because they want to be there. You can't paint with a broad brush. But no, they are not cursed by God. Uh, a lot of them uh, in the homeless community are demon-possessed. Um, the, the world wouldn't say that, but, but I can tell you firsthand that they are. Uh, but there are a lot of mentally ill people out there as well. I guess we've got time for one more question, if I do a quick one. Randy says, the idea of the rapture terrifies me. I would rather all of that happens after I die. Um, Randy, um, you know, when people say this, they just don't really know Jesus well. You just don't know him. There's nothing I would rather do than see Jesus in this next instant. And the, the idea of the rapture thrills me. I'd much rather go in the rapture than having this long, drawn-out process of dying. So here's what I would suggest in Randy, I'm going to leave this here. I'll come back on to it on Friday. Um, get to know Jesus better. Seeing him ought to be the one thing, the most important thing in your life, and it would change that whole idea. I'll come back to this on Friday. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the Word to Stand On for Life. Thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 with Paula. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.